You know all those hacks and data breaches you read about in the newspaper? Do you understand them? It's fine if you don't. Most people can't figure out exactly what all that noise means. But Haiyan Song does, and it's a good thing, because as the SVP and GM of Security Market at Splunk, she is in charge of monitoring all of that nefarious activity and protecting you and your data. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Haiyan sat down with Mission CEO Chad Grills to dig into the world of cybersecurity and how AI and automation can help change the game. Plus, she explains how Splunk was already able to move leaps and bounds ahead of others in terms of security. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at Mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce. Did you know that Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience. Hi, and welcome to the show. Thank you. So I'm excited to have you here. Your role is as the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Security Markets here at Splunk. So if you meet somebody at a party and they have no idea what you do, how do you describe it? I'll just tell them that uh, you understand all the security incidents that's in paper, in the news. And what we do at Splunk is actually help you get ahead of it. So you can monitor, you can understand, hopefully get uh, early warning what might happen and hopefully give you this time to actually prevent something from happening. Like data got stolen and your your services got shut down. So what Splunk does, what I do for Splunk is managing that business that delivers the solution to really leverage all the data that you have in order for you to have the visibility, in order for you to have the insights, in order for you to take actions in time so you're better protected. So this is a, a very, very important role. I think as we see new threats emerge from black hat hackers and things like that. This is a pretty high stakes role. Would you describe it as such? Very high stake, very challenging, yet very rewarding um, because we continue to really sort of focus on how data, how technology can help solve that problem. And when you can move the needle by used to be, for example, without Splunk, customer may take days try to figure out what has happened. With us, bringing all the things together, data, context, intelligence, they may be able to figure out within minutes. And you know, in security, in cyber, hours and minutes and days it's, it's a huge difference in terms of the, Im, the impact it may have uh, on your business. Let's talk about that for a moment because response times are at the forefront of every CISO, CTO, or CIO's mind right now. How do you go about reducing response times for your partners and uh, clients? So one of the things that um, we actually talk about in security, uh, this is from, you know, our acquisition of Phantom Cyber. I always say that's like one of the best acquisitions we've done. Not only we got a talented team, we got great products, we got a customer base. We also really sort of adopted their lingo. The lingo they use is uh, really talking about what the role that we play in, in providing technology to customers in the cyberspace is about giving them the ability to execute a OODA loop. OODA loop stands for, you know, to be able to observe, orient, and decide and act 
right? So the response time is actually a function of all of those. And in order for you to respond, you got to make a decision what has happened. In order to make the decision, you're going to be able to orient yourself with what's happening around you. And if this alert happened, what was the root cause? And what do I need to do? So the response time is actually not just one single dimension. It's that entire sort of iterative cycle to make better decisions, take actions, test out a hypothesis, and then make better preventive sort of measures, uh, put them in play. Um, it is a big deal because if you remember about two years ago when um, the ransomware was sort of uh, being spread around the whole world sure. and the second wave was called NotPeta. And when it hit one of the shipping giants that we know of, um, from the time that ransomware hit its first machine to the time it actually paralyzed their entire operation was seven minutes. Wow. So no humans can actually do that type of response within seven minutes. That's why automation, machine learning, and all of things become even more important. So what you're, would you say it's safe to say your goal is to preempt everything with machine intelligence, basically preempt attacks or start to fight back using machine intelligence systems? I, I think preempt is will be aspirations, right? Aspirations, um, sure. I, I would say right now, the reality is the sooner we can detect anomalies, the sooner we can get an inkling something may be sort of off, may be wrong, so we can start putting more preventive measures in place and putting better monitoring in place so we can know what's going on and reduce the noise to signal ratio are actually more practical. And as we able to are able to really employ more technologies like machine learning, automation, orchestration, we certainly would love to get to the point that we get predictive sort of security. We get preemptive security. I think the state of the art is still not there yet. Sure. And I think, too, with black hat hackers and uh, folks in the dark web, they're getting the benefits of machine learning technologies and new bots and new systems and scripts. Those are growing ever more complex. Uh, is there any hope for the white hat hackers of the world or are black hat hackers becoming just as powerful as the good guys? I'm always a glass half full person. Sure. And, and, uh, but it's also sort of, I don't want to understate how challenging this is. Uh, it's challenging for multiple reasons, right? The black hats, I would say they have a lot of economic gain they can get from collaborating and using technology. Uh, there's really no regulations, right? Mm -hmm. There's no sort of uh, things that prevents them from sharing things. And on the white hat side, I think we actually work under a lot of other things that prevent the total sort of transparency for us to share. And when we adopt technology, there's a lot of other things that we need to comply to, like, you know, privacy laws and, and, and things. So I think we're actually not at a sort of fair um, sort of competition. Right. On the other hand, I always believe that, you know, the good is eventually gonna overcome um, evil. So we have the right mission and we have the support from our customers and, and that we just as an industry need to do better in collaborating and sharing. And we need the government to help with sort of better policies and guidelines so we can even sort of 
expand the ability to collaborate among ourselves and private sector, public sector. I think those are all important things to do. Are there any ideas or uh, examples you like to cite where they might give us a template or a model that we can use to start solving those challenges? How, how can we go about uh, involving the government and different stakeholders in this new regulation? Or how, how can we improve those regulations? Uh, because information sharing is so vital and it sounds like it's not happening at anywhere the pace it needs to, to keep up with the black hats of the world. I, I think that we're making a lot of progress, right? Um, like NIST has frameworks now, so there's a sort of almost a starting point for all the organizations to think about cybersecurity. That's a big deal. And the Information Sharing Act and things, uh, really trying to enable and encourage sharing and trying to remove probably some of the obstacles and, and give us a little bit of protection uh, to say, hey, if you share something and what if that was wrong and are you going to be liable? I think all of those are actually great things uh, that's already in play. The question is always, in even in the commercial world, when I share something, how would that imply about my trade, my business? And I think those are the things is for us to, to really solve. Uh, the template you mentioned, is, I think NISC uh, cybersecurity framework is a great thing uh, that they've put out there. And now industry and vertical, they're actually to sort of come up with a guideline themselves. So those are really, really important things for us as an industry to continue to support and refine and, and get better. So speaking of the industry at large, you recently unveiled your vision for SOC 2020. That details how the security industry must adapt and adjust to cybercrime. So I was hoping that you could expand on this, talk about the SOC 2020, and tell us why you put it together. Yeah, that's like super, super exciting. Thank you for yeah, asking that question. Um, like you said, right, it's how do we really sort of get the team and get industry to work together? I'll tell you a little bit of the history if, sure, if, if please. Uh, that's helpful. Uh, about three years ago, we started to say, well, how do we really bring the team together? Because uh, in many of sort of the decades of security, it's been, we're all point solutions. And SIM is sort of the first technology to try to bring all the different technologies together. And at Splunk, I started about five years ago. And we really sort of went to market and say, we're going to take a different approach. We're going to take an approach to really leverage data, leverage analytics, and so we can bring the insights so you can make better decisions. And we also realized that, well, what if we got to know what's going on? How do you really remediate? How do you reduce the time sort of that the impact would be sort of uh, spreading around? So we initiated a program called Adaptive Response. And that adaptive response is actually an initiative, try to work with all the technology vendors to say, what if we want to automate and orchestrate all the things? Do we have all the APIs for us to do that seamless integration and orchestration? And that got a lot of following from the industry. And actually, um, Phantom Cyber was one of the founding members. Oh, um, cool. of the eight founding members when we started. And we worked really closely together and one thing led to another and they become part of Splunk like a year ago. So when they become part of Splunk, we said, well, now we have the technology for data. We have the technology for analytics. This is what Splunk already have. And now we have Phantom is really the technology to orchestrate and automate. So I consider the data layer, the analytics layer and the operational layer. Now we have the full stack. What do we do? 
And what can we do to help the customers and help the industry? So we unveiled that last uh, conf about SOC 2020. So it's actually very simple. The concept is, what if we take technology like, you know, Phantom Cyber and help you automate at least 90% of your tier one work. Tier one used to be really repetitive and well understood, and you can really codify that so the machine can do all the work. And SOC 2020 is about, well, once you have that ability, then you can free up all the human resources to do the higher order bits of things, higher reasoning, higher edu- you know, intuition, and the things that human love to do and right. excited about. Um, SOC 2020 is also about that you got to have one place where things are centrally orchestrated and automated, not one technology, but one unified experience and one platform that help you automate all the things. So those are the three elements for SOC 2020. And now that Splunk you know, has all the technology, we went to the customer and say, well, let's not talk about SIM or SOAR or, or Endpoint. Tell us what's most important for you to really conduct your work in the SOC. And they give us a lot of great feedback, but we dwindled it down to 10 critical things. And, you know, from ingest, how do you get all the data in to, well, not only I need to provide detection, but most importantly, they want prediction Mm -hmm. and they want automation. They want orchestration because those are important things. But they said, well, if you only do this, that's still not enough. We want you actually to be able to recommend. This is where machine learning AI comes to play to say, you can tell me which playbook I should apply when something like this happens. Which analyst is best at handling situations like that? Because you're able to have all this information in your system. And investigative things is still the most critical thing. And then how do you enable collaboration? How do you give me a way to manage the cases so this is well-contained because of privacy and other things? And then there's all the other, I would say, we call it motherhood and apple pie stuff, like reporting. Well, it's important to have metrics. It's important to see how effective you are. And it's important to really use the data to fine-tune your operations. So those are some of the things that the customer really guided us for. And we're building uh, our next uh, wave of capabilities and technology um, really to deliver SOC 2020 for our customers. I love that. Thanks for explaining it. You mentioned a number of interesting things there. There are two things I want to just ask quickly about. You mentioned that you've been at Splunk for five years. So being in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area, that's that's a long time. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what is the company culture like here? Because that's uh, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, this is really one of, I would say, the best career moves I've ever made. Um, and I came from the security industry uh, coming to Splunk. It's like I was the first person to come in to build the security market group. And it could be a very daunting task if you go into a place and people just are very jaded and, and you know, sort of keep you at arm, arm's length. Um, I think when I sort of came in, I was just welcomed by everybody, even though I don't didn't have anybody reporting to me directly. I just feel like the whole company is like, okay, if you have a vision, if you're going to lead us to places and, and what you bring to the table is going to help our customers, they all followed. And um, I'll just give you some some stats, which 
When I started, I think our security business is probably less than 30% of what we do. Um, in the range, maybe around like $100 million, sort of that that's in the security side. I'm just super proud in the last five years, we grew the business. Now it's more than 50% what Splunk does. Wow. And uh, I would say now we don't use the word millions anymore or hundreds of millions. We actually use a different word that start with a B, right? Um, Congratulations. Yeah. That's so huge. Thank you. We're yeah. super excited, super proud. I would say some other um, things around, you know, uh, you know, Gartner has an MQ for the space we're in. Um, over the years, we keep moving up. Um, and last year, we surpassed you know, when I was a much bigger company um, that I wouldn't mention the name. Um, <laughs> and not only that, I think we just got news. We are the market leader in terms of market share in the space this year, too. So all of those, I would say, yeah, I, I attribute to the company. I attribute to the culture. And the culture involves our customers. I always say our secret sauce at Splunk is not just the technology and the people at Splunk, it's actually our engagement with the customers. They provided the best guiding lights to what's important, what to do. And they innovated so much that we actually got ideas from them. Like New York Presbyterian is one of the great examples that they literally gave us a whole a set of use cases to say, this is what we use data for and help us with that. So I'd be interested to hear about what was your take on the overall security landscape before you came to Splunk? And what was your take after, say, a couple years here? Um, how, do you, how do you see the security landscape evolving? And uh, what was it like before and after Splunk for you? Um, so I think before I came in, we were sort of at this uh, juncture that a lot of companies implemented security information event management system. They understand the role and the importance of it, but they all struggled. They struggled because the technology of that generation had certain assumptions. Um, you know, data needs to be structured and you need technology to prep the data before you can put into the system. And you need humans to actually, you know, codify all those correlation rules. And that's useful for only known sort of threats. After we come to Splunk, we said, well, Splunk has this really, really powerful technology. It does not require you to know everything about your data before you start. And we give you the flexibility to continue to learn. And once you learn, you can apply that contextual and semantic sort of translation there. Uh, so we really changed the SIM industry. We change it to be very analytics driven versus you got to have pre-known rules, right? We bought um, a company, acquired a company in behavior analytics, and that's all about machine learning is anomaly detection. Uh, that really sort of pivoted the industry to think a lot more about data and analytics. And with Phantom in automation orchestration, I think we're really pivoting the industry now to really think about leveraging technology for automation because automation was never part of SIM before, but it's become more and more important for security operations. Uh, I'll tell you an interesting story because I remember two years sort of into Splunk, I was talking to an analyst and I was showcasing all this great incidence response capabilities we put into the product. And just remember, he looked at me, I was like, IR is not part of SIM. I said, I understand, but our customer tells us that's what they want to use our solution for. 
And but if you look at the current sort of SIM capabilities, the critical capabilities, IR is a big piece of that. So I think we helped define and shaping and really leading some of the sort of transformations or evolution of what the industry is doing there. Could you talk in detail a minute about customer success and why that's so important for Splunk? It's a word that gets thrown around a lot, but I would love to hear some stories about, and feel free to make them anonymous. Uh, are there any customer success stories? You mentioned New York Presbyterian. Are there any others that you love to share? Um, we have a lot of them actually are uh, shareable publicly. Uh, Affleck is one of them, and I, we work with them very closely. Uh, they endorse us sort of in many different ways. So they want us to share their success stories. Um, they actually started with using Splunk just as a place where they bring all their threat intelligence together, uh, just because the sheer amount of data they have to process and the sheer amount of decisions they have to make right in their environment. I think that's definitely is something I'll start with. Um, New York Presbyterian uh, is really one of my uh, favorite topics because they're not just talking about security. They they extended the use case to privacy. They extended the use case to even a higher level of order of sort of mission that, you know, about opiate, you know, diversion. Uh, that's the type of things I feel like that provides us the satisfaction and reward that we're not just doing something for one customer. We're doing something, you know, for the industry. We're doing something for the greater goods. Um, I think the Global Emancipation Network is another fascinating example of using data, big data, machine learning, and then Splunk technology to help stop human trafficking. Could you talk a little bit about that and uh, what the future of solving that massive problem looks like? Yeah. So I, I think this is really a sort of time of our era, right? Uh, everything now with the digital transformation, there's so much data that gets translated into sort of things that we can draw insights and decisions from. Um, because all the travel data, flight data, and behaviors that people can observe, uh, I think that was the thing they were, you know, working on. It's like, gosh, if I just look at all the air traffic and and how people are moving around and, and detect certain patterns, that's a great example uh, about how we can even impact human lives in a good way. Uh, the other examples I always love to talk about is we actually worked with the water district of, of Denver, if I remember it right, how the Splunk was used to, we call the, the word Splunking, you know, the water qualities and, and using all the buoys and that was sending back to understand water quality, to understand all the different things. That's like human life. Very, very basic human sort of quality of life. And that has nothing to do with security or IT. Uh, so those things are super exciting. Um, but things gets more technical, like, you know, airport use cases. I travel so much. So I value every single improvement in the airport experience that can make my life better and sure. make other people's life better. And I think uh, Dubai Airport was one of the examples and how you know, we're splunking even, you know, if you're washing your hands in, in the goat-plated bathrooms. Um, but it's really about improving the customer experience. And, and customer success goes way beyond just our immediate customers, almost the customer of our customer. So it sounds like with machine learning and the 
threat or hope, depending on your view of artificial general intelligence being on the horizon, that now should be a really exciting time for many individuals because we have an opportunity to solve and improve so many humanitarian issues. So when it comes to artificial general intelligence, what are your views? Are you hopeful? Are you pessimistic? Or is it still a long ways out? All of the above. <laughs> okay. I love it. <laughs> um, I'm hopeful because you really have to, you know, it, even the example I talked about, the fact it took seven minutes for uh, that whole company's operation to be paralyzed. You have to leverage technology. And AI has really evolved leaps and bounds, you know, like in, in probably more uh, like game playing on all those things. We have to leverage that. So I'm very, very hopeful. Um, I'm pessimistic in a sense that we just don't have enough data yet. Uh, even though we have a data explosion problem, but we don't have enough data that have codified what are the things people should do when certain things happen. And that's why the automation, orchestration technology is so important. It actually helps you digitize the human intelligence and the human sort of actions when you have to deal with uh, incidents uh, very, very early on. I'm also just thinking... Aspiration, definitely, but there's a lot of noise in the industry. There's a lot of companies already claiming we have AI. Sometimes I feel that's misleading. Um, and, and And so, so <laughs> I think that's, stretch, right? <laughs> that's why I have all this sort of mixed feelings about it. Um, but directionally, I think AI and ML will play a big role. And the way they can play a big role actually has to be based on the fact that we are able to have a lot of data to train those algorithms, to provide that feedback. And that's really one of the reasons I'm super excited where Splunk sits is we bring that you know technology and the data together. So how can we or organizations listening go about gathering more data? Is it sensors? Is it uh, exploring IoT solutions? How can we better track all the data that we're generating right now, but maybe we're just losing it because we're not tracking it? Uh, unfortunately, that you described a pretty common sort of situation in a lot of companies and, and the, the people use the word data exhaust, right? Uh, just things happen and just sort of get emitted out into the ether. Um, I think organizations, especially like, I'll just sort of bring it back to the security side. I always have been talking to the customers about, you know, cybersecurity strategy and things. In the last couple of years, the security strategy and data strategy is actually exactly sort of intertwined in a way that you cannot separate one from another. So I would say the recommendation would be be very intentional. Be very intentional about your digital journey. Be very intentional about how you want to instrument your enterprise, you know, whether it's IoT or making sure your developers are developing your business applications in such a way that access control and logging is very much part of it. In the new world of APIs, in making sure the API tracing and things are there so you can actually able to trace your digital sort of footprint. And that's almost like, you know, it's ground zero. And the next thing is to really raise the awareness of how data can be valuable and data can be sensitive. So you not only just use the data to 
advance what the business needs, but also be intentional and sensitive to how data might compromise people's privacies and, and do it on both sides. Is there any advice you have for engineering teams or security teams that are listening to this right now and thinking, I'm already overwhelmed. How do I get started? Are there any entry points you recommend for them? Are there any uh, resources that you like to send them to to get uh, maybe a lay of the land right now? Well, there's a lot of good places to start with, right? Sense does a great job, you know, giving people training and and just from awareness, like very basic security to very advanced. So that's always a great place. And uh, Splunk does a great job really doing community and user engagement through our boss of the SOC program. There's actually one coming up um, in a couple of weeks. Uh, so I always... Uh, want to encourage customers and users get engaged with the community. Sure. Um, but just like as developers, I would always say nowadays, there's a lot of communities. There's even companies like for, you know, bounty kind of hunting for bugs beyond just penetration testing. Just start with the basics. Start with making sure that you follow the best practices. There's so much being done already. You There's guidelines how not to sort of make your application vulnerable to cross-site scripting and and or SQL injection. Sometimes it's just doing the basics. It's like sure. basic hygiene. If we all like always wash our hands, we'll be much healthier. Right. And for the developers, we can start from there. I love that. And you mentioned earlier Conf. So could you tell us what that is? And you mentioned it's a great opportunity for people to get involved, but what was it like and uh, what is Conf? Conf is our user conference. is my favorite, favorite conferences to go to for many reasons, right? One is um, to actually sort of immerse with our customers. And we run our conf programs with programs probably more than like 50 or close to 50% of the sessions are presented by our customers. So it's not just the Splunk people, you know, prescribing and, and presenting, it's actually customers sharing what they use the technology for, what challenges they they, they have. Um, so that I love, and I love to hear their success stories. That's very rewarding. I love to hear their challenges that help guide our future sort of investment. Uh, I think the other thing is uh, Conf is also a place for us to bring the community together. Uh, last year at Conf, which is October, we ran Boss of the Sock event. That was Monday evening. Um, you know, most of the time when you just start on the conference and the evenings, you probably go drinking, right? Um, but the Boss of the Sock program, there's about 800 of them in the ballroom from like seven o'clock to midnight. It's like capture the flags kind of exercise. They're just like hunting, they're just working. But the fact they're all there sure. is just amazing. And we literally overwhelmed the hotel's Wi-Fi <laughs> because there's, we didn't expect that many people stayed that long. Um, that sort of community spirit, that ability for them to say, hey, we're a community, we're coming together, we're sharing best practices, we're training the next uh, sort of wave of workforce. I, I think that's the best thing you can do for a conference. 
Very cool. And when it comes to keeping yourself up to date with the latest trends and information, are there any sources, you mentioned some, but are there any other information sources that you subscribe to? Maybe you read on a weekly or daily basis. Maybe it's a recent book you read. Uh, What do you like to recommend to other security executives out there who are looking to better inform themselves? Um, I think we actually engaged with uh, several of those um, organizations. Uh, Dark Reading is is one of my uh, go-to places uh, if you're just trying to, you know, find out what's going on. Uh, we definitely work with several of the analyst uh, community. They, you know, bring things together, putting them in a framework so you can understand the trends. Um we have a security research team that's actually my source in many different ways that's run by a gentleman. His name is Manzi Mirza. So we have security researchers who are very well connected in the threat intel community, um, and they actually bring in the latest that that's not necessarily that's published. So I think uh, that's very, very important. And uh, I'm also very fortunate. I get to meet a lot of our key customers. I travel and those type of interactions really give me the insights that you probably don't even get from reading some of the things. Do you find many uh, other security executives that you talk to, do you find that they are uh, commissioning their own studies or reports with their research teams or is there informational sharing yet uh, from that? I know a lot of that is proprietary, but is there any research that uh, is open for informational sharing? And and how do you go about that? I'd be curious to learn. Um, there's actually a lot of information sharing. Uh, there's a lot of informal sharing, sure. people to people kind of sharing versus going through the system. Um, so I did, you know, when I talked to those folks, they all subscribe to a lot of the threat intel feeds. Some are higher quality than others, but it's, it's the value of listening to multiple channels and sure. making sure you get the right signal. Um, I think the other thing is really the industry specific uh, sharing, it's more valuable because, you know, if I see somebody got sort of attacked in my industry, I would have a much better understanding how to prepare myself because they usually try to employ the same techniques and things. So there's a lot of uh, ISECs um, that, that's been really leveraged. We actually work with several of them. And um, in, in the health uh, sector, we actually work on analytics together with them. Um, I, I would say just that sort of community, I, I go back to the community building um really get to know the folks that's in your industry and reach out. And we're, as a technology provider, we try to bring more technology so that sharing can be better automated and organized. Uh, but I think the intent and the, the willingness is always there, and we're slowly and surely getting better at it. So are there any uh, missteps or mistakes that you see a lot of developers making right now where they're unknowingly maybe putting their technology org at a, at a big risk? Uh, are there any common mistakes that you have seen just over and over again and you wish you could just you know, inform every developer of them immediately? I, I think there's several things. There's probably a lot um, different companies running into different challenges. Uh, be very intentional about your uh, access control. And that starts with identity management, right? Uh, in the world of cloud, be very intentional about 
understanding where your data goes and making sure that where the data goes, you have proper access control. A lot of the horror stories you've heard around that is people didn't even know they have a lot of data in the cloud and it turned out that whatever the storage sort of they were using, it's wide open. Uh, so those are the things that is very preventable if there is a process that you put in play to really go through the checklist and and even having an automated system to always check for those configurations. I would say start from there as the very basics, but use technologies, use services like penetration testing or you know bug county you know bounty program to help you because. Nobody is perfect. We can not think of everything. This is where you want to employ the professionals to help you. I think those from two angles. Are there any tips you might have for an executive who's thinking about improving or evolving their bug bounty program? It is a scary thought to start with, right? It's like, oh gosh, do I really want to invite those folks to to come in and 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 things? Uh, but there's like you know, good companies that has built really great reputations always go with someone that has a good reputation um, and start with something that is probably not necessarily your most mission critical. Start with something, develop that relationship. But it's really more about creating that awareness. That's an important thing. And hopefully, eventually, you don't have to just rely on third party, you know, developed your own internal talents and and, uh, processes to do that as well. So if we're thinking broadly about the IT field, are there any trends that you're particularly excited about that could be outside of security? Are there any trends that you find yourself uh, geeking out about in excitement or where you see an emerging technology that you can't wait for, but maybe it's still three to four years out? Well, I uh, recently become a Tesla owner. Um, I have to say autonomous driving it's so exciting. And sometimes we think, gosh, that's like years away. I actually don't think that's years away. It's when you're on a back road and your hands are not on the steering wheel, it's incredible. So, yeah, I wouldn't say anything. I, pre- well, I'm pretty, not pretty close at the appropriate, uh, the, the positions that the legal teams recommend that you have your hands. Yeah, uh, well, I'm not wheel. on the back road. Sure, sometimes sure. my hands off too. So, that's super exciting. And I think we can learn so much from that when we think about security. Uh, Security eventually needs to become a lot more anonymous than just like having so much human intervention. So I think that's part of the reason is like you see what's possible and then you can actually unpack it to say what really made it possible. Is it AI? Of course. Is it sensory information? Of course. Is it algorithms that continues to better itself as more data and things become available? Yes, all of those we can really take inspiration from and try to make security better. What's the best advice you've ever received from maybe a boss, a colleague, or a team member that's part of your team? It could be business advice, it could be IT advice, and it doesn't have to be the best, maybe like top one to two. Well, I would say that the one thing that I remember it was actually has nothing to do with technology, if that's applicable. Sure. Uh, once, this is many years ago, a gentleman told me, he said, well, Haiyan, I want you to know half of the world disaster came from good intentions. I was like, because I, you know, I was having a conversation. I said, I had good intentions. <laughs> and, and he said, you know, half of the world disaster started with good intentions. Uh, so I took away from that is just having intentions is not enough. 
right? You got to understand what the action that you're taking, the impact, you know, it could have on other people and be very thoughtful, be very intentional and and to be always sensitive to some of the things that you don't know. That's why you want to work with other folks to give you that perspective. So it has nothing with technology, but that thing like stick with me is like- Sound good, advice. Right, yep. So Splunk recently released the dark data report. Could you talk to us about that? And are there any pieces of it that stand out in your mind? To me, that's such a cool, um, I would say, phrase, right? It's dark for many reasons. It's dark because, first of all, you don't even know where the data are. It's dark because you probably don't even understand what the data is telling you. I think that's just really a very good summary of what's happening in this whole digitization or digital transformation, if you will, that the world has moved so fast to be very connected, very digitized, but the understanding and the thinking and the technology to really sort of keep up with that data explosion, to really get value, to use that properly to guide us, it's not very holistic yet. It's really advanced in certain areas. It's non-existent in others. And I think that gave Splunk an opportunity to really sort of bring the world to the new era of dark data. I like it. And we talked about professional development and learning materials earlier. Are there any uh, books or series or podcasts that you're listening to when you need a break from all this? Are there any uh, fiction series that you read? Are you a sci-fi reader? How do you unplug? Because this is uh, not only a complex industry that's high stakes, but I would imagine you do want to de-stress and take a step back occasionally. So a lot of my, I'm a big fan of Audible. So I, I listen to a lot of digital books. Um, I listen to books around spies because that, you know, give me a lot of sort of really interesting perspectives of, of how this type of vulnerability can be exploited and, 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 and things. Um, I was just telling Bill on, on airplanes, I listen to a lot of podcasts as well that has probably nothing to do with technology, but is more about, you know, I am, um, very, very curious on how the human brain works. And I actually get a lot of inspirations. You know, when we set out our vision for security, and one of the terms I use is we want to build a security nerve center. And um, so those are the things I actually, you know, about mental health, about even psychology. I, I you know, things that are proper to talk about at work, things are sure. probably not safe for work. Uh, that's how I kind of unplug sure. and, and get inspirations, cross-pollinations. Definitely. It sounds like that unstructured approach to learning is uh, applicable at Splunk, but also in you know your personal entertainment consumption and things like that. Absolutely. I, I do go to conferences for structured learning sure, too. Sure. But to me, you know, some of the, the most, I would say, valuable uh, inspirations, it, it could just happen on, on an airplane when I was watching a movie or something. So thank you so much for being generous with your time here. Final question. If you're counseling in uh, a rising executive in the security space, is there any uh, advice you have for them uh, as they embark on a career in an industry that is at the forefront of many people's minds and it's very important for humanity's safe future? So what advice do you have for the technology executives or security professionals that are listening out there? Be a student of life. 
And if you're going to be in the cyberspace, you're going to be in the life of learning because things are going to change so fast. And be a student of life, not just for technology. It's really sort of finding inspirations from people around you and things around you. And that really brings the perspective that you really need in cyber because cyber is multifaceted, multidimensional, and it changes every second. I love it. Hi, Anne. Thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully, we'll uh, get round two on the book soon. All right. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks again to our friends at Salesforce. Did you know Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience.